All right, if you've got your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Let's stand together as we open the Word of God. It's uh, the last book in the Bible, Revelation. Notice I said Revelation, not Revelations. Some people make the mistake of making that plural because of the various visions in the book. But the book is titled, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the fact that Christ Himself is revealed, and nothing, no passage in Revelation points to the importance of it being the revelation of Jesus Christ and who He is, uh, so much so as this second chapter, these first seven verses in this letter to the church at Ephesus. It says, To the angel, or messenger in some translations, of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven gold lampstands says, I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. You also possess endurance and have tolerated many things because of my name and have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet you do have this. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor the right hand, or the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise. Of God, Father, we thank You for this Word, this admonishment. Father, that it applies to us as much today as ever. And I pray that You would give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. To each heart here, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're in a series called Reconnect. I'm looking at five famous passages that do with reconnecting in God's Word. This is our third message Probably one of the most famous passages on reconnecting, dealing with rekindling that first love. wonder this morning, does someone need to rekindle their love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I have a feeling that there are many of us that need to rekindle our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about what that's like. What is it like to be away from the one you love, and to come back, even if you're serving the one you love, and, and to come back to him. I want to show you a few pictures. I would show a video, but we would all be crying by the time we got to the end of the video. But a few pictures of homecomings of these soldiers. Notice when you look at pictures like that, doesn't it just warm your heart when you see a picture like a, a soldier who has been off at war, serving the ones that he loves. When, when he's finding, you go on and, and kind of scroll through those, you, you see the, the ones that long to see that soldier come home. But you see that embrace with the ones that the soldier loves. And I think the last picture that we have up here is uh, one from uh, Sanford Stadium. Some of you may have actually been at this game right here. Anybody at that game at Sanford Stadium? So a good number of you were there. When this uh, soldier ran out, the family wasn't expected, and he comes out on the field, and of course the, the stadium erupts, and you're filled with emotion. We were in one of these experiences recently uh, we went to a Chattanooga Lookouts game, and uh, the soldier spoke from the big screen via satellite, we thought, and uh, 
the kids, his kids got to throw out the first pitch of the game, and then the catcher who received those pitches took his mask off, and lo and behold, it was the, the warrior daddy who was behind the plate. And of course, we're in the stands, we're all crying, we're all boohooing, and, and uh, just uh, an, an emotional, a uh, touching moment. These soldiers have been away serving, and now they, they come back to the ones they love. Do you realize that it's possible to be busy serving the one that you love and not be close to Him? And, and I'm talking to pastors as much this morning as anybody. We can get so busy thinking that we're okay with God because we're doing so much for Him that we forget the most important thing, and that is to be with Him. And see, as we serve God, we don't have to leave God to serve Him. As a matter of fact, we need to be closer to Him than ever to serve Him. Thursday night, I met with a group of pastors to pray about and look for a way to motivate our association here in Northeast Georgia towards spiritual renewal. And one of the comments was made by one of our leaders that, well, a lot of pastors just aren't interested in spiritual renewal or coming together with other believers for the sake of spiritual renewal. And I just asked a question. I said, I said, do you think it's, is it theological? They don't, they're worried about who they're going to be rubbing elbows with. Is it philosophical? They just have reasons for not uh, going about things the way we think we should for the purpose of spiritual renewal. Is it strategic? Are they saying, hey, that, this won't work or that won't work? And then finally I said, or is it just apathy? I, I want to know, is it that they just don't care? And, and two of me and the, the other leaders that I was surrounded with said, well, we all think it's apathy. We think people just simply aren't hungry for spiritual renewal. In the book of Revelation, before Jesus deals with future events, He deals with it here and now. I don't know, we've got, I think, a couple of classes. Uh, one of our younger classes looked at this text this morning, and one of our adult classes has been studying Revelation. I have people come to me all the time saying, Pastor, I want you to do a study on Revelation and end times. And, and that's great, and we need to be looking ahead, we need to be preparing, we need to be able to interpret what's going on in the world today. But at the same time, I want you to realize, in the book of Revelation, before Jesus said, hey, let's get into what things are going to be like during the tribulation period, He said, no, let's first speak to the churches, and let's deal with what's going on now. He made that a priority. He said, let's deal with what's going on in our lives right now, because we need to make some adjustments. If we're going to be ready... For what's to come, we need to be doing what God's called us to be about in the here and now. So he addresses seven churches. I believe not only representing possibly seven church ages, but seven literal churches at that time, and all of the problems they encountered are, are problems we encounter today. He addresses, he says, the angel or the messenger. It's, it's the word that, that uh, we use for angel, but it's also for one who would be, uh, one who would deliver a message on behalf of God. So sometimes, Believe it or not, pastors were referred to as angels. The preachers in the churches were referred to as messengers. And so he addresses the messengers of the church and says, be sure the church gets this message. And in Ephesus you have, and he says to the angel here, the first church that he addresses, the church at Ephesus, in Ephesus you have what we might have called a megachurch with big-time influence, in its day. Ephesus was the most prominent city in the Asian province of the Roman Empire. This is a big city and a church that's had a great impact 
on the city. Major church. Think about Ephesus, the church at Ephesus. It was established by the Apostle Paul who remained there to pastor this church for three years. In Acts chapter 19 and, and 20, you read about him coming and, and, and doing the work in this church and staying. And he, when he left there, he was in tears because God was doing such a great work. He didn't want to go anywhere, but he said, God's called me to continue this missional work of church planning, but you're in good hands. Remember, Paul sent Timothy. So, so they look back and they say, Paul was our first pastor. Then they have Timothy who serves a, a good long tenure there. And then in their, the latter part of the century, you have uh, the Apostle John. John, the beloved disciple of Jesus Christ, who's now exiled to the island of Patmos writing this letter. You have John writing Ephesus first. Now that's quite a heritage there in the first century to say, well, who, who were your pastors? Well, we had Paul, and then we had Timothy, and then we had John. Wow. Pretty good history. Tremendous influence in this city. I think of churches... Uh, like Bellevue in Memphis, you know, what was it like that they had R.G. Lee for half a century? And then lo and behold, when R.G. Lee, one of the greatest preachers of uh, the, the previous century, goes uh, into retirement, goes to be with the Lord, they get stuck with Adrian Rogers for the next part of the, the century. I think of churches like uh, First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, George W. Truett, for whom uh, uh, Truett McCon- the Truett and Truett McConnell comes after. George W. Truett pastors that church for uh, a good part of the, the, the century. And then along comes W.A. Criswell for the second part. A, a church under now the influence of, and leadership of Robert Jeffress that has a, not only impact in the city of Dallas, but impacts this nation because when Fox News wants to talk to a pastor, they usually call Robert Jeffress. And, and so I think of churches like that, mega churches in mega cities making a mega impact. That's what Ephesus was. They had been everything that they were supposed to be, but they were slipping in an area. Because when you get to verse 4 in this passage, you see that there's a strong indictment. You've lost your first love. You've lost your passion. You're going through the motions. Now, half a century ago, that the, the, the generation that's now the older generation, they had a lot of fervor. They had a lot of passion. They were really seeking my face. They were walking closely with me. Now a new generation has come along. The, the older generation has lost a lot of their passion, a lot of the energy. And, and the newer generation has grown up in a church where they've probably not been able to appreciate the opportunity because they never knew what it was like to be without it. And so for our older people here this morning, I would say let's look at this passage and see what we can learn about that time that we once had all of that passion, that enthusiasm serving the Lord. And now at, at a stage in your life where you should have more time on your hands to love Jesus, to worship Him, to overflow with what God's doing in your life, you may have lost that passion and that love and that fervor. And for the new ones who have kind of grown up in it, and I pray for my kids all the time because you have preacher's kids, Titus, are in church all the time. And I pray that they will never not appreciate what it is they've had an opportunity to experience. Strong indictment. They had grown cold in their love. Paul's letters to Ephesus in the book of Ephesians, what we see in the book of Acts, what we see in his letters to Timothy, tell us that Ephesus was a church that was filled with love in its worship, its prayer life, a great love for one another. But now in that area of love, in their love life for God, for one another, they're growing cold. How do we rekindle that? How do we rekindle? He says, you've lost your first love, that word protos means first in time, means first in place, means first in importance. 
Time, place, and importance. Is your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, your relationship with Him, can you honestly say this morning, it is first when it comes to how I manage my time? Is it first in priority? Is it first in place? Is it first in importance? Or am I not as in love with the Lord Jesus as I once was? How do we rekindle that? There are four ways I think the text gives us to rekindle that first love. The first one, we read when we read all these wonderful commendations. Simply this, recognize the insufficient substitutes for that first love. Recognize that there are insufficient substitutes. Not that these things are wrong, but they are simply insufficient. They do not take the place of that love relationship with Jesus Christ. He notes in in verse 2, as he's writing, this one who holds the seven stars, he says, He says, I am there, I'm in the midst of you, I'm walking among the churches, I see what's going on, I know your works. I know your labor. The work had to do with those things that they needed energy to perform, and the labor, the toil, that was the the stressful work, the heavy load that they were carrying. He says, I know your work, I know the heavy load that you're carrying, I know that you're doing good things. That's not enough. Nothing wrong with it. As a matter of fact, it is to be expected. We're saved by grace through faith. That not our says of the gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But when Paul wrote this church at Ephesus, he also added verse 10 that we were created in Christ to do good works. So they were getting it. They heard the message and they were doing the good works. They were they didn't have a problem finding people to serve for the new church here. They were busy, they had rolled up their sleeves, they were working doing what they were called to do. But those were not to be the top priorities. That was not what was most important. Say what was most important. Remember remember what happened when Jesus went over to the home of Mary and Martha for a meal, fellowship. And Martha was busy preparing everything, and she was busy serving Remember what Mary was doing? She was seated at the feet of Jesus. Just loving Jesus. Just soaking up what Jesus had to say to her. She was worshiping Him. Jesus did not rebuke Martha for her service. He didn't say, you've got it all wrong. You don't need to be serving me. He said, Mary has chosen that which is greater. He said, Mary's doing something right now that's even more important than your service. And that is, she is spending time with me, listening and learning and growing and worshiping. And church, many of us can, if we're not careful, grow cold in our love for the Lord Jesus Christ because we don't recognize that all of our works, all of our service are simply insufficient substitutes for our love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Spending time in His presence and letting the work overflow out of that. This church had not only been busy with their work, another thing that's an insufficient substitute is that they were outspoken against the evils of the day. You continue to read in verse 2. He says you cannot tolerate evil. They didn't put up with the evils of the day. In this city especially, the idolatry and the immorality that that the Roman Empire had kind of ushered in that was tolerated 
they didn't tolerate it. They didn't put up with it. They didn't allow their church members to put up with that kind of immorality. Today, they would be the church that stands strong against abortion and gay marriage and pornography and racism and gambling. They would say, listen, as a church, we're going to make it clear where we stand on the immorality and, and the evils of the day. And as a church, Trinity Baptist wants to do the same thing. We want to make it abundantly clear where we stand on those things. But listen, it's an insufficient substitute for your love relationship with Jesus Christ. You can be right and stand on the right things and stand against sin, but if we do it in the flesh and not in love, it will never be received. That's why your love relationship has to be first and foremost. Verse 2 goes on to tell us that they were solid theologically. They tested those who called themselves apostles and were not. Found them to be liars. They knew their stuff. They didn't turn on the television and, and become wowed by the, the Oprahs and the Osteens and the Rob Bells of the day. They didn't say, wow, that's good stuff. No, they knew their stuff. They knew their Bible and they knew when somebody was leaving something out. They knew the truth and they stood on it. But that was an insufficient substitute for a love relationship with Jesus Christ. They could say, Preacher, you sound good and you sound clever, but that's not in the Bible. You're not preaching truth. In verse 6, we read that they didn't put up with the teaching of the Nicolaitans, and there's a little bit of controversy on who that was. We don't know exactly. Some say because the name coming from the word Nikao, where we get our word Nike, conqueror, and laity people, some say they were the people conquerors who came in and tried to bring in a church hierarchy and a and a priesthood and a papacy that shouldn't be tolerated, and that they said, no, we're not going to put up with that. We all have access to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that were true, then they did the right thing. Others say that it was kind of more of a, a, a liberalism, a licentiousness that came in and said, no, listen, you can do anything you want to do just as long as you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. As long as you believe, then you can behave any way you want to behave. And, and they put that to silent. If that were the case, whichever extreme was coming in, they recognized that there was not biblical balance. And they confronted it. Didn't tolerate it. Still, that was not sufficient. In verse 3, we find out they didn't back down from persecution. You couldn't scare them out of the church and away from the things of God. But that was not sufficient. Again, if not motivated by love, all of these things, doing good works and standing on the truth, will be done in the wrong spirit and with the wrong motivation. And we begin to do things. We begin to serve God. We begin to get busy doing the right things with the wrong motivation for the wrong reasons. Then we will not be winsome and we will only be tiresome. We begin to say, oh, but look how hard I'm working and nobody's helping me out and I need some help and somebody else needs to get involved. And then we get upset and then we get angry. But no, when we do what we do, Paul said that we are compelled by the love of Jesus. When we do what we do out of a love relationship, when it's the overflow of what God's doing in our heart because we're walking with Him, we're praying, we're spending time in His Word, then we're not growing so weary in well-doing and we're not being unwinsome toward others because people want to be a part of it when we're doing it in love. It's not sufficient to say, well, I'm serving you. There doesn't have to be spiritual intimacy. See, no husband in here would like for the wife to say, well, you know what? I keep a clean house. 
I do a lot for you around here. I help raise your kids. Don't you be kissing on me. I don't want any affection. Most women aren't going to say that, right? I don't want any affection. We can show our love by serving one another. Most of you men would say, well, you're crazy, right? But you know, we tell God, I'm serving you, but I don't have time for spiritual intimacy. Second thing we need to do is remember the impassioned beginnings in our relationship with Christ. It's what he says in verse 5. He says, remember then how far you have fallen. Remember what it was like when you were right. You need to, in your mind, think back to when you were closer to Jesus than you ever were. Was it when you first got saved and came to faith in Christ? Was it somewhere you began to grow? Was it at that, that camp or that retreat, that revival you experienced? Remember that time in your life Maybe there was a victory streak over that sin that so easily entangles you and you're like, man, I remember how sweet things were between me and God in those days. Remember how far from where you have fallen. Remember what it was like when it was right. Have that moment, as we looked at the prodigal son a couple of weeks ago, have that moment the prodigal son had where you come to your senses and you think about it and you say, I'm remembering those, those impassioned beginnings. Anybody know the great theologian named Joe Diffie? <laughs> no, some of you knew him as a country musician. I don't know if he was a one-hit wonder guy or not, but the only one I remember is the, the famous song that I thought had to be written in Madison County, Georgia. Some of you already know what it is. John Deere Green. There's, there's theological truth here, folks. Hang with me. They were farm kids way down in Dixie, met in high school in the 60s. Everyone knew it was love from the start. One July, in the midnight hour, he climbed up on the water tower, <laughs> stood on the rail and painted a 10-foot heart. In John Deere Green, on a hot summer night, he wrote, Billy Bob loves Charlene. All right, you guys don't remember it as well as I thought you would. Or at least you're acting too spiritual to remember it. And letters three foot high, and the whole town said the fool should have used red, but it looked good to Charlene and John Deere Green. They settled down on 80 acres, raising sweet corn kids and tomatoes. They went together like a hand and a glove. And a clear day from their, on a clear day from their front yard, if you look and you know what to look for, off to the east you can still read these words of love in John Deere Green. It seems like a silly little song, but it's about somebody in their first love, and they, they had something that they could look to and say, oh yeah, I remember when I was such a fool. I remember when I was so foolish, I could climb, I didn't care who knew, I wanted the world to know about my love for my sweetheart. Remember when you had a reckless abandon in your love for God? Remember how crazy it was? You didn't care. You wanted everybody to know how much you, you wanted your family to know. You wanted your friends to know. You weren't afraid to just kind of to, to blurt it out there. You know, nowadays we have social media and everything else. It's not quite as intimidating maybe. But you didn't care who knew. You wanted the world to know that you were in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you remember when your quiet times were more fresh. Remember... I know we all have a Bible app on our phones now. One day I might be preaching from one. I don't know. I know we all have a Bible app on our iPads, but remember when just the 
the smell of a Bible was sweeter than the smell of a ball glove. And you couldn't wait to get and tear into the pages and feed on the Word of God. Sweeter than the smell of perfume. The words tasted even sweeter to you when you would read the Psalms and the Proverbs for wisdom. Didn't care who saw you worship. Some of you that are my age, remember when you were teenagers and you could stand in a youth meeting with your hands raised, living with abandon, and now you've grown cold in that love and don't want to express it, don't want everybody to know, or you don't want everybody to laugh at your witness. Remember when you served the Lord out of that love, and so you could still get tired in ministry, but service tired, like we said about camp, was always a good tired. was always a good tired because you did it out of love. Remember what it was like when it was right. Remember the impassioned beginnings. And then third, repent. He says repent. Repent of indifferent thinking. And when I say repent of indifferent thinking, I'm being a little bit redundant here because the word repent means to change your way of thinking. It means to turn from your way of thinking. They had become indifferent to their condition. So in verse 5, he says repent from that. Change your way of thinking about how you are right now. See, there are some that need to change their way of thinking this morning because you simply don't realize that there's more to the faith. You came to Christ because you wanted a fire insurance plan against hell. You wanted a heaven retirement plan. And I want to come to Jesus so I can miss hell and gain heaven. And God says, that's just the beginning. The abundant life has just begun. And you haven't experienced it. You haven't fallen deeper in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Others here have but they don't know when and, and how they lost it. And it's time to change your way of thinking. You want it back, but you don't know if you can get it back. Repent, he says. Change your way of thinking. Still others know there is more, but they're simply simply indifferent. Don't really care. Listen, there's a, there's a clock ticking. We've been made stewards of the temporary in this life. There's a clock ticking. Every day we put off repentance and changing our way of thinking is one less day we have to be in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether it's a fear of failure or a fear of looking foolish, we need to realize that 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound what? Mind. Change your way of thinking. God hasn't given us a spirit of, well, what if I say I'm going to start living for Jesus? I'm going to start loving Him. I'm going to start serving. I know that I'm bound to let Him down again. And I know others are bound to let me down again. And so I just don't want to go there. God didn't give you that spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and of a sound mind. He said, well, I'm just going to kind of stay where I am right now. Never happens. Never happens. So, yeah, it does. I'm staying complacent. I'm staying right where I am. Listen, faith is like a car going uphill on a journey. And the engine is the Spirit of God. You're, you're the vehicle. You're in charge of the vehicle. The, the engine is the Spirit of God. We've got all the power we need for this journey. But the mind is like the gear shift. And we have to get the mind in gear sometimes to engage the engine. And see, this vehicle only has three gears. You, you have or, or 
three options. You have forward, you have reverse, and you have neutral. And there's no parking brake. <laughs> and so if, if you get to a place in your life where you say, listen, I'm not growing in my love for Jesus. I'm just going to put it in neutral. Then you're going to go backwards. And eventually you will be going backwards at a faster rate than the person who put it in reverse and intended to back away from God. Just by saying, I'm going to leave it in neutral, you will not stay. You will begin to fall away. You will lose your passion. You will lose your steam, your desire for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to repent of that kind of indifferent thinking. We can't stay in neutral. So he says, remember what it was like when it was right. Repent. Change your way of thinking. And finally, reconnect. Reconnect to that inspired voice of God. Verse 7 says, Listen. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit is saying. And this morning, the Spirit of God is telling you, you know it's not what it once was. You know that your love for Jesus isn't where it once was, and you need to repent. You need to reconnect. Listen to what the Spirit says. The Spirit convicts the world of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness. The goal is to teach us God has a better provision for us. I will give the victor. He doesn't say He will make you a victor when you get to heaven, but because you were victorious, the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, even though that is a picture of what we will one day experience in heaven, the victory begins even in this life. As we sang earlier, from Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors through Christ our Lord. So we need to be engaged with the Spirit of God, asking the Spirit of God to fill us afresh and anew every day, telling Jesus every morning, every afternoon, every evening how much we love Him, how much we need Him in our life, walking with Him, taking Him by the hand, and getting in on the journey that He has for us. That means... For a lot of us this morning, we need some altar time. And this week, we need some alone time. We need some altar time where we're coming and we're getting on our face before God saying, Lord Jesus, I want more of Your love, more of Your power in my life. I want to have a greater desire for You. And I want to quit trying to serve You in the flesh. Jesus, help me to fall more in love with You. We need some altar time, but we need some alone time. We need to get back to that daily quiet time. That tall good time, as we call it at camp. Time alone with God, where we get in His Word and we pray and we, we fill our ears, not with Joe Diffie, but with praises. We listen to, to music that moves our heart closer to the throne of God. We just get along with God and pray and seek His face. We need some altar time and we need some alone time to reconnect to the inspired voice of God so that we're not only in this book tearing through the pages again, but the Spirit of God is taking the principles of the Word of God and beginning to prompt our hearts again to where we're like, wow, I'm walking with God. I'm feeling His Spirit work inside of me. I can tell that He's taking biblical principles and showing me how to live today, how to talk, how to walk, how to interact with my family. Whatever it is that has taken top priority in your life will let you down every time. Let Jesus be on the throne again. Say, but I've tried and I've been there, I've been there, I've done that, and, and pastor, it just simply doesn't always last. Listen, 
This side of heaven, life will be like a roller coaster, but we should be getting closer to Jesus every day. Billy Sunday was asked one time, the great uh, baseball player turned revivalist evangelist, Billy Sunday was asked, why do you always do these revivals when you know they don't last? This lady had come up to him. She was you know, a smart lady, but she said, well, why do you do all these revivals? You know they don't last. And his response was, ma'am, why do you keep taking baths? It's okay. It's okay to say, I'm going to need to do this again. But do it today. It's okay to say, I might, you know, next week, next Sunday, I might feel like a failure and have to get, hit my face again. Then hit your face every Sunday. Hit your face every morning. Say, God, I want more of you, more of your love in my life. Vance Havner said, Revival is simply falling in love with Jesus all over again. Ed Young Sr. wrote a book called Romancing the Home. I thought it was very enlightening. I read this book when I was a newlywed. Picked on Adam and Rebecca a little bit this morning. Newlyweds always have that smirk like you just, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But, uh, but I got a copy of the book, Romancing the Home. And he talked about rekindling that fire in marriage. And he said, here's the wonderful thing about marriage. There will be times that it grows cold. And I'm like, what? That's wonderful. Why, Why is it wonderful that there will be times that the love life grows cold? He said, because remember when you first fell in love? He said, that's an awesome feeling. And he said, throughout your marriage, you will have times to fall in love again and again and again. So I love those times where I'm falling in love with my wife all over again and again and again. And we would love to be perfect and we would love to be consistent, but that's just not the case. But in the Christian life, as we're growing in grace, we're going to have moments where we fall in love with Jesus again and again and again. And the Spirit of God, as we listen, as we reconnect this morning, the Spirit of God is telling many of you, fall in love with Jesus all over again today. Don't worry about, oh, will it last? Listen, the day it quits lasting is the day we give up on coming to Him. The day we throw in the towel. Let's come to Him today. Would you bow your heads with me?